It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yes, hi everybody. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Rich Lowry will be with us at the bottom of the hour. It's going to be great. Uh, he has uh, the same opinion of that speech essay the president gave. He said it's a garbage speech, and I 100% agree, but I'll get into detail on why. It's not emotional. He was all emotion. He was uh, devoid of facts, uh, but we will not be. We'll be on the money and on target when the real story is the economy. You know, the, uh, the inflation rate's now at 7%. You know what it was when Joe Biden took over? 1.2%. Tell me that's okay. They'll watch your money just evaporate, be worth less. We'll discuss all that, and I'll take your calls. Uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There you go again. That you was just do the same thing every hearing. That was your response. Senator, you no. are incorrect almost everything you well, said. Well, no, you deny. You deny. But the emails tell the truth of this. No. You do more damage than good when it comes to educating the public on COVID. Well, I believe that's a real distortion. Uh, not really. Uh, that's what I've been saying. But you just don't go on an outlet to want to challenge you. And when you go into hearings, they challenge you. Fauci versus Paul. Round three. No one benefited. As usual, Dr. Fauci deceived, ducked, and distracted. We'll bring you the latest on Omicron, which has our public health experts twisted in knots as they give contradicting commands to a confused American public. Number two. The big number the market was looking for, 7% year over year on this headline number. We got it just now. Again, this is the fastest pace of inflation that we have seen in 40 years, folks, since 1982. Now Nobody's happy about it. Reality now. The issue in America is the economy, specifically inflation. More specifically, supply chain, empty shelves, and evaporating workforce. The numbers don't lie. We will underline. Number one. History has never been kind to those who've sided with voter suppression over voters' rights. How do you want to be remembered? At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? amazingly irresponsible, pure fiction and division. That's how I describe the president's angry, cranky speech in Georgia. As he claims, once again, election law changes in states amount to Jim Crow 2.0. You disagree? Then you're a traitor. A Jefferson Davis. I put the historical analogies into context. So let's get started. First off, when it comes to Jefferson Davis, it's amazing. The president doesn't seem to like him now. He kind of liked him, too. Uh, It looks like in the past... I can't believe this, but when you're around for 50 years, you get to vote on a lot of things. Well, the year was 1977, and there was a big push in 1874. Uh, Believe it or not, uh, Jefferson Davis wanted to be a citizen again after defecting and being president of the Confederate States. He loses the Civil War and says in 1876, could you reinstate me? You know what they said? Absolutely not. You're not going to be reinstated. And you weren't until 1977, when President, excuse me, Senator Biden at the time was part of the Senate Judiciary Committee when he unanimously voted to have Davis citizenship restored under Jimmy Carter. Now, if you are Jefferson Davis, you are a heretic. You, like Lincoln, a Republican, Jefferson Davis was a guy that fought to make sure slavery was part of the American fabric. Uh, we fought a war to get rid of it, but it didn't stop President Biden for irresponsibly going down and going down south to Georgia 
at the same day after Georgia wins their first national championship in 40 years. So nobody's paying attention. Here is President Biden talking about the election laws that changed in Georgia, a state he won by just over 10,000 votes. Cut one. It's also time to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. I've been having these quiet conversations with the members of Congress for the last two months. I'm tired of being quiet. You know, I love this speech, Al Sharpton. Uh, he probably wrote it. So let's talk about how Georgia doesn't want black people to vote. They extended early voting to 17 days. They must really not like minorities. On early voting, the legislation expands early voting hours in most cases. Monday through Friday from 9 to 5, they give county the options to expend the, extend those hours. And voting on Saturday and Sunday in the early voting period, one or two days, Sundays. So let me see. How bad don't you want to vote? Now, instead of Election Day, 9 to 5, now you have Election Month still in Georgia. And now, if you say, well, uh, my county stops at 5, can you show up on a Saturday? I mean, please. Is that too much or Saturday and Sunday to vote once every two years? An absentee ballot. Well, what they did is during the pandemic, a lot of these states, he's, uh, they flooded the zone and they just mailed everybody a ballot. And a lot of these people had moved years ago. The voting rolls need to be updated. So they're just everywhere in apartment buildings. So they said, listen, we're not just going to mail you ballots. Pandemic, uh, it's not over, but we know how to live with it. You can get down here. We know the protocol. So if you want a ballot, just ask for it. We'll give it to you. And instead of doing signature matches on those ballots, can you do me a favor and write on your driver's license, your driver's license number? Or would you put your, you don't drive? Okay, fine. Can you put your last four digits of Social Security number? Is that too exhausting? Is that Jim Crow 2.0? Is that Jefferson Davis? By the way, there's, a, there's tape out there of Joe Biden getting, uh, thanking George Wallace, the segregationist, for his endorsement. Here's Joe Biden. Off the off his kilter, whoever wrote this speech should be fired immediately. Cut four. History has never been kind to those who've sided with voter suppression over voters' rights. And it'll be even be less kind for those who side with election subversion. So I ask every elected official in America, how do you want to be remembered? At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? This is the moment to decide to defend our elections, to defend our democracy. Right. Really need Bull Connor. That's what it is. If you are for drop boxes for one of every 100,000. There were drop boxes everywhere. They couldn't control me. I have no idea if they're being stuffed. Security matters. Integrity matters, don't they? So they say, for now on, keep drop boxes. But just put one to 100,000 residents, okay? The period, uh, there's going to be a period of nine to four weeks that you can use them. Now, oh, excuse me, nine to four weeks. You know the runoff election that Georgia does, or else if they didn't have it, Senator Purdue won the election. But then when they redid it, Senator Purdue lost the election. It got got to a 50 percent uh, threshold instead of nine weeks four weeks is that that bad is that bull connor is that jefferson davis now 
on waiting online and getting refreshments, which suddenly we realize you can't wait online for five minutes or for 50 minutes without a refreshment. And if you stop it, you don't like black people, right? Another new rule that affects both in-person early voting and Election Day voting would prohibit anyone except poll workers from handing out water to voters in line and outlaw passing out food and water to voters within 150 feet of the building and serves as, uh, serves as a poll inside a polling place within 25 feet of any uh, standing anybody standing in line. Now, why does that make sense? It makes sense greatly. So you're picking people up, you're dropping them off, you're buying them pizza, and then you're giving them refreshment, and then they get to vote. How do you think they're going to vote? They want to make sure in the big or small elections that you're not bribing people for their vote. So let poll workers all have refreshments to hand out. And also, there's so many polls open, they don't believe there'll even be long lines. The Wall Street Journal called the president's speech on voting rights divorced from reality. I do, too. I was offended by it. But listen to uh, Joe Biden. They had a, a number of um, civil rights groups just boycott him because he hasn't gotten anything done yet on when it comes to voting. And then you had Stacey Abrams, who wants to be the next governor of, of Georgia, has some mysterious scheduling conflict. So when asked about where is Stacey Abrams, Miss Voting Reform, who never admitted she lost in 2018, cut one. Are you insulted she's skipping the speech? I'm insulted you asked the question. Oh, I spoke with Stacey this morning. We have a great relationship. We got our scheduling mixed up. Really? Got your scheduling mixed up? I knew about it. She didn't know about it? I mean, was it dentist? What, what did she, what was she doing? And just in case you think it's just me or Republicans uh, that might be upset that the president's using these ridiculous Jim Crow uh, 2.0 speeches, which is an insult to all those people who uh, lived in the time of segregation. Here's Harold Ford, a former Tennessee congressman. Cut 16. The Joe Biden that, that, that I know from 20 years ago would not have framed it quite that way. Uh, I don't think if you are opposed to some of the things that are being proposed around voting rights that you are, that you're Bull Connor. Right. Thank you. I also want to talk about what the president should have been leading with. This guy wants to get four more years in office, keep his party in power. He's got to find a way to get the economy moving, get people back to work, start urging people to go get a job and then handle inflation. At least give me a strategy for handling it instead of vilifying big meat. That's all I hear. Big meat. That's the problem. But inflation is now 7.1%. Wow. Unbelievable. You could have 3.9% unemployment. But if inflation is 7.1%, you will not get reelected and your party's going to get destroyed. Why? It just dis- your money just disappears from your uh, from your investment account, from your uh, from your checking account. So here it is. Here's the skyrocketing of inflation under Joe Biden. He takes over or uh, in December 2020, he's not kept president yet. Uh, inflation is at 1.4%. In January, 1.4%. It's not an issue. February, uh-oh, it's up 1.7%. In March, 2.6%. Remember, we got the vaccines before the variant. April, 4.2%. May, 5.1%. Now, what happened in March? He passed the totally unnecessary $1.9 trillion rescue plan. So that just goes into our system. It goes into our system, just the money floods the area and gets schools ready. And he says we needed that, even though we just gave him $800 billion or gave Trump that was still in the coffers. In May, it's at 5%. In June, 5.4%. It stays at that 
until September, where it goes to five, excuse me, until October, where it goes to 6.2%. Now in November, 6.8%. And now in December, 7.1%. Now that we're in January. So this guy is in economic trouble. Now, the, he also re-upped Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. Here's what he said about high inflation. Pay attention. Cut 17. We will use our tools to get inflation back. And, and the main reason is this. Uh, a reason is this, that to get the kind of uh, very strong labor market we want with high participation, it's going to take a long expansion. We can see that participation is moving <clears throat> only very slowly. And to get a long expansion, we're going to need price stability. Right. And so in, in a way... High inflation is, is, a, is a severe threat to the achievement of maximum employment and to achieving a long expansion that can give us that. Yeah, stop your ridiculous Georgia speeches uh, that are based on nothing. Stop telling Senator Schumer to blow up the filibuster. He's got three Democrats who have not committed to going with it, and one just spoke out against blowing up the filibuster that would allow them, if every Democrat voted for it, to pass this voting right legislation federalizing elections. And the John Lewis. John Lewis may have led an exemplary civil rights career, but he was not a good legislator. And he also looked at Donald Trump and said he's illegitimate. I'm not going to his inauguration. I'm not going as a State of the Union address. In a time in which they're saying Republicans always challenge elections and it's hurting our country, how about John Lewis? How about Hillary Clinton, who never accepted President Trump? When we come back, I'll take your calls. You have a lot to say. I know that many of you didn't see the speech. You are lucky enough to have a job or choose to have one. Uh, but if you've seen some of the cuts and you heard some of the cuts, I'm sure you have an opinion. one 408 Also, thanks to everybody that keeps buying the president and freedom fighter. It's uh, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and the battle to save America's soul. That is legitimate racial problems. These are two men handling those problems. Joe Biden is no race leader. And Georgia, Arizona, and Texas are not trying to marginalize and eliminate any minority votes. It's called tightening up after the pandemic. Can uh, actually underline the integrity of the vote. And if you disagree with some axiom of it, it doesn't mean you're Jefferson Davis. Back in a moment. Questioning everything. everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. And I got to say, uh, while our president and this entire administration deserves credit for saving Christmas, this is a man who saved Christmas. The man who saved Christmas, Secretary of Transportation Buttigieg. By the way, this, I'm not sure what the hell he's talking about. Um, the this bare shelves Biden is still trending. There's nobody who thinks the supply chain is back on track. Nobody thinks we have enough truck drivers. Nobody thinks that we have enough people to work the docks in order to empty the the ships. We don't have any place to store this stuff once they do get stateside or uh, uh, onshore. Unbelievable why they continue to say stuff they know is blatantly not true. Uh, Eric, listen on WNDB in Daytona Beach, Florida. Eric. Hey, Brian. Great show today. Uh, On a quick side note, I know three truck drivers. There are truck drivers. They're not going to blue states because they're not getting vaccinated. They're going. Florida is America's warehouse right now. But uh, I wanted to touch base on the. Well, over here, Daytona International Speedway, it's huge. There's like 10 tents, and they're doing testing and vaccines. But you need to show an ID. 
Now, really? Isn't that racist? Because yeah, we course. all know that black people can't get IDs and they can't get to the vaccine. Of so course. Are you Bull Connor? Are you Bull Connor that you actually want someone to show an ID to get vaccinated? Does that mean you're racist? Unbelievable. Joe, WRCN on Long Island. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. Listen, uh, Biden is so politically toxic. That's so embarrassing that you're running for governor and Stacey Abrams won't even drop everything to go see the president of the United States. I mean, what did she have, a nail appointment? I remember when you ran to meet Trump. Was it in Page? You told the yep. story. You took the car service. You were racing. You got out there in like 40 minutes you to just interview him. That, that's what you do if the president of the United States is coming into your town. Just, even if it's for the photo op, for the uh, money that could come in for campaign. Then the other thing I don't understand is, I've always saying this, what, what is the deal? Only white people can get to the polls? I don't get it. We elected a black president twice. We elected a vice president, Kamala Harris now. What is going on? What is the, all this? I, I just don't understand what they're, they're talking about with all this. They got to go hard, uh, Joe. They got to go hard after it. Republicans were speaking yesterday in Washington. That's not good enough. No one watches C-SPAN. You got to go out there and say, I just want to point out 10 things that changed in Georgia, 10 things that changed in Texas, 10 things that changed in Arizona. Meanwhile, don't tell, don't praise the Arizona governor, the Georgia governor, the Georgia secretary of state, the Arizona secretary of state for standing up for the integrity of the vote and at the same time now blaming them for taking away the integrity of the vote. You can't have it both ways. Uh, so thanks so much for the call, Joe. I don't get it either. I think it's an insult. It's an insult to think that oh, all of a sudden minorities are being limited to vote. There was a time in America where uh, after the Civil War where you needed to actually put troops in the South to make sure blacks were allowed to vote because uh, the Confederates uh, and the, especially the remnants of the Confederate Army was basically mobilized to stop it. That's a problem. And that's part of our history. And to Joe Biden to equate the two to Jim Crow 2.0. And some of the limitations and the embarrassing limitations that were happening in some south southern states. It's, does he know not know anything about our past? And if he does, does he know anything about his past? Can we get him some prevagen? Because he 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 bragged that George Wallace endorsed him, and he mobilized a huge effort in the Senate to back Jimmy Carter and has pushed and put Jefferson Davis's citizenship back in play. Jefferson Davis yesterday. He was uh, he was vilifying him. Rich Lowry next. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The next few days, when these bills come to a vote, will mark a turning point in this nation's history. We will choose. The issue is, will we choose democracy over autocracy, light over shadows, justice over injustice? I know where I stand. I will not yield. I will not flinch. I will defend the right to vote. Our democracy against all enemies, foreign and, yes, domestic. And the crowd cheers. An angry, ornery President Biden shows up in Georgia to mischaracterize changes in election law now that the pandemic is over. Rich Lowry joins us now, editor of the National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. But, Rich, your latest column kind of reflects what I've been discussing uh, what a garbage speech it was. Terrible. It was, it was low, dishonest, ridiculous. The idea that American, all of American history hinges on what happens the next couple of days 
obviously completely absurd. And he's just smearing Georgia and smearing the election system in Georgia and around the country. You still have the president of the United States standing there undermining the legitimacy of our elections, saying that we're sliding towards autocracy, and the only way they can save us is if we eliminate the filibuster and pass these two bills, which isn't going to happen. So what is he going to say next week, that, that we're now we're an autocracy? I mean, it, it's, it was really a shameful performance. So you got his problem is with his own party first and foremost. They don't want to blow up the filibuster, and they don't believe you should nationalize the election without the filibuster. You're not going to get any Republican support. So you had Joe Manchin say, "Yeah, I'm not uh, for that." Uh, you had Mark Kelly not committing. Guys, Kirsten Sinema assumed she is not for that either. So what is his problem? Does he not do the math? Cut eight yeah. is more from what he was saying. I'm making it clear to protect our democracy. I support changing the Senate rules, whichever way they need to be changed to prevent a minority of senators from blocking action on voting rights. <coughs> when it comes to protecting majority rule in America, the majority should rule in the United States Senate. So he suddenly is for this filibuster. So let's blow up the filibuster. What's the problem with that? Remember Mitch McConnell stood up to Donald Trump when he asked that, as did Lindsey Graham and others? Whatever yeah. happened to leadership? Well, first of all, there's the hypocrisy. I mean, he's been a decades-long advocate and defender of the filibuster passionately. You know, you, you, it's not hard to find the clips of him passionately defending the filibuster. And Democrats happily used the filibuster all during the, the Trump years. And here, because they're in a, in a rush to pass these bills, in a panic to pass these bills, all of a sudden the, the Senate tradition has to be trashed. That the, the filibuster itself doesn't go back to the inception of the Senate, but the Senate has always been about uh, making it harder to do stuff um, in the federal government. So it forces a consensus or a really big majority or uh, forces you to, to make your case in a compelling way such that, that uh, recalcitrant members of your own party or the other party feel the heat from the public. And none of that applies here. So what Kristen Cinema says is absolutely correct. They eliminate the filibuster. You know, they can get these, these two bills presumably through. But what happens in January 2025 if Republicans have unified control? They'll just reverse it all because there'll be no obstacle to doing it. And then they'll you know, pass strict voter ID law for the, the entirety of the country, which a policy I support. But I don't think the federal government should force it down you know, every single state in, in the country. So th this is just misconceived at every level. I think they, they have at most 48 votes to change the filibuster and maybe even not that. But, Rich, it's unbelievable. In fact, you talked about that flashback. I think you'll recognize these voices. It's Schumer, it's Booker, and it leads with this guy named Joe Biden, cut seven. And we should make no mistake. This nuclear option is ultimately an example of the arrogance of power. It is a fundamental power grab by the majority party uh, ending the filibuster is a very dangerous thing to do. They will change the rules, break the rules, misread the Constitution so that they will get their way. That, Madam President, is what we call abuse of power. No, I'm not crazy about getting rid of the filibuster. That the legislative filibuster should stay there, and I, I, I will personally uh, resist efforts to get rid of it. Okay. How do you explain this? They know this tape exists, but they want to say that the election laws are so bad in these... Uh, states that we have no choice. Who are they going for? Are they trying to win over independence? Are they trying to impress their left-wing party? Because 
the whole thing has no shot of passing. Yeah, I mean, that's the real mystery here. Schumer did the same thing with Build Back Better. He said, oh, we got to pass it by the end of the year. And a majority leader puts himself on the record like that. You're like, okay, he must have a pass to a majority. He must have a pass to 50. But he didn't. He was just, just saying it and hoping something would come up. Same thing here on a larger scale. I mean, they're saying that the entirety of the existence of our democracy is at stake if, if they don't pass this by Martin Luther King Day with no pass to passing it by Martin Luther King Day. And the only reasonable interpretation is they, they want to show their base that they're really trying hard, but they, they, their base is going to be disappointed. Their, their base, you know, I disagree with all those folks, but they're not idiots. They'll, they'll, they'll see next Tuesday nothing's happened and nothing's changed, so they'll be disappointed and frustrated even more so. So I, I, don't, I don't get it at all. Listen, we know what it, uh, we, we know on both sides, Murkowski and Susan Collins and John McCain with uh, repeal and replace Obama. Obamacare, they, you, it's impossible with, with a slim majority, it's almost impossible to get everyone rowing in the same direction. So for his left to say, why aren't you doing anything, what do you want him to do? I mean, to, almost to his point, like, what do you want him to do? I would want him to make re- responsible gestures and just say, I can't do mandates. The vaccine does not work 100%. It does not, hand, uh, does not help us against these variants. Uh, it is these election laws are tightening things up. Not destroying things and hurting black people and stop black people from vote. And I don't have the votes to overturn the filibuster. So what is his political play here? He's on the record trying to turn over the filibuster. So that he played that card. He cannot win over the, uh, the Democratic Party. So he played that card. It's like Joe Frazier saying to himself, you know, I need to get back on track. Let me fight George Foreman. I got to knock him out eight times. <laughs> Yeah, it, I, I don't get it at all. And, and he's had this unfailing instinct over the last year for stuff that people don't care about. Politico has a poll on various voting changes, and and they ask, you know, do you care about this one more or this one more, or, or you just don't care? And don't care one. I mean, no one is sitting at home right now thinking, oh, my God, our, our, our democracy is failing because you have to put your driver's license ID number on a, an absentee ballot in Georgia. No one is thinking that. You know, they're worried about the, this latest wave. They're worried about the inflation at the highest level for, for 40 years. And he, and, he, and he doesn't focus on any of that. Instead, he does this. And even in the realm of election reforms, this political poll, surprisingly, even though it's relatively arcane, showed people are favorably disposed to changing the Electoral Count Act to kind of tighten up some aspects of that. And there is a bipartisan majority potentially to do that. So it'd be very easy for Biden to say, I'm honchoing these negotiations negotiations, get it done, pass it, have a signing ceremony, have some Republicans standing behind him. But he won't do that. Instead, he's, he's going down this path of idiocy that is, is only going to backfire. The other thing that was happening yesterday is Rand Paul uh, round three with Dr. Uh, Dr. Fauci. No one asked him tough questions until Rand Paul, Senator Marshall yesterday and some Republicans. They asked him, basically, what the hell are you doing? Why is this? Why are you contradicting? Why do you just come in and uh, on the CDC and make your comments known. And the president, if he wants to be successful, has to widen his circle of experts. But here's a little of the give and take here. As uh, they find emails that show Fauci and Collins both were combining to defame critics of theirs when it comes to fighting this uh, this pandemic. Cut 22. But when the planner is a government official like yourself who rules by mandate the errors are compounded and become much more harmful. A planner who believes he is the science 
leads to an arrogance that justifies, in his mind, using government resources to smear and to destroy the reputations of other scientists who disagree with him. In an email exchange with Dr. Collins, you conspire, and I quote here directly from the email, to create a quick and devastating published takedown of three prominent epidemiologists from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. Apparently, there's a lot of fringe epidemiologists at Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. And you quote in the email that they were from Dr. Collins, and you, you agree that they are fringe. And immediately, there's this takedown effort. And he does. They go on the offensive, on a PR-wise. But he never answers the question. Yeah, when, when Rand Paul started on this, you know, how many he- hearings ago, I was like, All right, maybe Rand's being a little overly harsh. He's a little out there. But I think he's just destroyed him. I, I, I think he's just destroyed Fauci and his reputation, and Fauci needs to go. Uh, the, 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 the most important aspect of any public health official should be having credibility and being s- someone that most people can trust. You know, the way our, our country works now, no one's going to trust, not all people are going to trust any one person. But th- that's clearly no longer the case with Fauci, and it's mostly his own fault. And he should just go. You know, he's had a great 40, 50 year run, whatever it's been. Go hang up your cleats and, and do something else. But I, I don't think he's suited for his role anymore. But he actually can't came prepared, ready to fight. Here's his answer, but he doesn't answer the question. Cut 23. Do you really think it's appropriate to use your $420,000 salary to attack scientists that disagree with you? I think in usual fashion, Senator, you are distorting everything about me. There you go again. You just do the same thing every hearing. That was your response. And this this wasn't the only time. So your desire to take You're down people... You're incorrect. As usual, Senator, you no. are incorrect. Almost everything you well, said... Well, no, you deny. You deny. Right. But the emails tell the truth of this. And, and go back and forth with Collins. You know, so, and well, Bhattacharya is the one that was on with Laura last night. was one of the people that he was attacking. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, it, clearly he's been hiding the ball about the game-of-function game research and, at best, kind of playing word games with it. That, that again, is not what a public health official should be doing. You know, he was, he was put on a pedestal he never should have been put on from the beginning, that no one, no one would have been able to live up to you know, the exalted status he had for a, a swath of the country. And he's played games the way a lot of these public health officials have the whole time. Instead of just saying, we're going to give you the honest answer or let you know that actually we're uncertain and don't really know. Instead, they play these games where they're like, we're going to give this advice because we think this, this will land best with the, the public. That's just, just, just not the way you should do it. And it's, it's created this deep distrust, and it's time for him to go. I would think so. So we'll see where we go from here. I just thought the symbolism just sold the whole story. You have the CDC director show up with two masks. Never take it off. And Fauci would take off his mask every time right. to speak so, <laughs> with a single mask. So, I mean, they're going to have well, us. At least, rational, at least he's rational on that. Yeah. But meanwhile, uh, they're fine. the distance is fine. I mean, we're watching Joe Biden get the wrong message, giving press conferences outdoors with his mask on. We hear outdoors is almost impossible to get it. Uh, so we, they can't even get their own physical, their, their own physical decisions they can uh, come together on, let alone the policy decisions. Uh, Rich, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Brian. Have a great week. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, I'll take your calls and find out if there's, uh, if there, what is on your mind. Or you can write me, briankilmead.com. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The president thinks the way people across the country, American families, uh, digest inflation is by price increases. And if you look at industry to industry, it's a little different. So, for example, the president, the secretary of agriculture have both spoken to what we've seen as the greed of meat conglomerates. That is an area when where people go to the grocery store and they're trying to buy a pound of meat, two pounds of meat, 10 pounds of meat. Um, it is the prices are higher. That is, in his view uh, and the view of our secretary of agriculture, because of you could call it corporate greed. Sure. You could call it uh, jacking up prices uh, uh, it, during a pandemic. No offense. I'm not going to take my meat advice from you, Jen Psaki. Yeah, it's up 18.6 percent. Yeah. But it's just amazing to me that the president comes off break and says, I was sitting in my sunroom and I realized only four companies make meat and how much it is to, to get a hamburger or a pound of chopped meat. And that becomes the thing he wants to attack because of his sunroom conversation with his wife's friend. And then you have Jen Psaki say the problem is too few people own too much meat. Uh, there's so much more to our economy than meat. Uh, I believe jo- uh, Daniel's in Georgia. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Brian. Great to be with you, man. Yeah, thank you. What's on your mind? Hey, so as a truck driver, your previous segment, you mentioned that uh, Biden and Buttigieg actually saved Christmas. I-, I would love to know what they did to save Christmas. As a truck driver, there was no FMCSA relaxation, no exemption for hours of service. They didn't change anything. So how how did they save it? They said that they kept the docks going 24 hours a day and 40% come through Long Beach and Los Angeles. You buy that? Oh, not at all. The docks have been going 24 hours for years. Florida has had a 24-hour mandate for at least the past decade. So if they did it in L.A., good, great, fantastic. They should have been doing it the whole time. The only increase or the only positive that I've seen is a positive to my fuel bill. I run between 100 uh, to 75 gallons a day. With gas prices at $4 a gallon, I'm spending $400, $450 a day on fuel. It used to be 250 maybe 300 Amazing. And that's it. So if your gas costs more and there are less drivers, obviously you're going to charge more, and you should. You're not going to lose money while traversing the country. Uh, thanks so much, Daniel. Real world stuff. Brian, listening online in Michigan. Hey, Brian. You know, as far as the uh, election reform, to me, it's easy to understand why the big push is there, because in 2020, they made changes or they got changes done to election law, most would say unconstitutionally, in, what, six states, and it worked. Yeah, including Pennsylvania. And so now they just want to codify it. And then as far as getting rid of the filibuster, if you maintain control, who cares if the filibuster's gone? And then Biden, with his rhetoric, he knows he's on the short list. Well, if you're a Democrat, you feel that for four years or three years now, you got you got control. And if you lose the Senate, you still got the president to veto anything that comes out of there. So and it could override his veto, but it'll never happen because you never get Republicans or excuse me, the Democrats to join with that. So they don't see any problem for three years. Now, most of these people in their 70s, they probably think to themselves, I'll probably be dead by the time I have to pay the price. So he made his big speech yesterday. A lot of civil rights groups did not show up. And one big one. Uh, who wants to be governor? Stacey Abrams did not show up. Here's Kaylee McEnany on why. Cut 15. That scheduling issue, as one of my former colleagues put it, is the election. It is the popularity of Joe Biden in the state of Georgia, which hovers around 30 percent. And I'm probably being generous 
there. If the president of the United States, the commander-in-chief, is coming to your state, you are a political figure, and you know it would be a massive embarrassment to him if you are not there, you clear your schedule. But Stacey of Abrams course. did not clear her schedule because he's that politically unpopular and that politically toxic. What a fall from grace uh, from just the beginning of his term when he did have fairly good approval numbers. Right. Uh, he is politically toxic, but do they understand they're hurting themselves if they make this president uh, lame duck too soon? They'll never get anything done, which I find unbelievable is that where's the tactical person? You know, I, I know you believe you should win and you believe that the election thing is the right thing to do and you think that the American public is behind you, but that's not the strategy that's going to win. Build back better. We'll win over Joe Manchin. You didn't. He goes he calls on Fox News Sunday and says, I'm done. They said they haven't even talked to him about it. And now they asked him yesterday, what about the filibuster? He goes, yeah, yeah I'm not, uh, not going to blow that up. So it doesn't matter. What are you wasting your speech for? Who is telling Joe Biden what to do? Who put him in Georgia? Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. All right, I'm pretty sure I've heard this open before. This is where I talk. Brian Kilmeade, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Uh, we got a big hour coming your way. Uh, two great guests. It's going to be uh, John Rapsisberger, who's standing by, and uh, Dave Isay. You probably have not heard of him unless you saw 60 Minutes on Sunday. He has a great project to help, and I believe, help bring this country together. And the experiment is ongoing. He's been a, a major figure. You probably saw him on 60 Minutes 20 years ago. And then he's doing something extraordinary right now. And you're not going to say he's Republican or Democrat. You're going to say he's pro-American, which is why um, Allison uh, told me about him Sunday. It was one of the rare 60 Minutes I, lost. I, I did not see. And then she gave me the segment. I thought, what a perfect guest. Uh, but she booked him already, so she wasn't waiting for my green light. Uh, Brad Rathersberger is standing by. You remember him, the Georgia Secretary of State, uh, that famously ticked off President Trump uh, and might have kicked off a lawsuit, but at the same time is pushing back against the president's characterizations of the changes in the Georgia law and the Texas law and everything else that the president did yesterday that I thought was flat out irresponsible. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There you go again. That you was just your do the same thing every year. That was your response. Senator, you no. are incorrect. Almost everything you well, said. Well, no, you deny. You deny. But the emails tell the truth of this. No. You do more damage than good when it comes to educating the public on COVID. Well, I believe that's a real distortion. Not really. Uh, Fauci versus Paul and then Senator Marshall. You heard it back on the back end. No one benefited from this fight. As usual, Dr. Fauci deceived, ducked, and distracted. We bring you the latest on Omicron, which is our public health experts twisted in knots as they give contradicting commands to a confused American public. Number two. The big number the market was looking for, 7% year over year on this headline number. We got it just now. Again, this is the fastest pace of inflation that we have seen in 40 years, folks, since 1982. Now yeah, that is Cheryl Cassoni, our reality now. The issue of America and the economy, specifically inflation, that's what we care about most. More specifically, supply chain, empty shelves, and an evaporating workforce. The numbers don't lie. Un excuse me, inflation is 7%. We'll talk about it. Number one. History has never been kind to those who've sided with voter suppression over voters' rights. How do you want to be remembered? The consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be the side, the side of Dr. King 
or George Wallace. What an irresponsible speech and analogy. Pure fiction and division. That's how I describe the president's angry, cranky speech in Georgia. As he claims, once again, election law changes in states amount to Jim Crow 2.0. You disagree? Then you're a traitor. A Jefferson Davis. I put that in historical perspective in a matter of moments, but let's bring in the uh, the Secretary of State uh, for... Uh, okay, good. The Secretary of State of Georgia, Brad Raftensperger, joins us now. Uh, Brad, welcome back. Morning, Brian. I, I was stunned by that speech. I mean, I was offended by that speech. I'm not from Georgia. I just know history. Were you offended by that speech? Well, everyone gets offended today. What I say is he's just flat dead wrong. Georgia has more early voting than they have in the state of Delaware. We now have photo ID for our absentee ballots, which is what they have in Minnesota, and they've had that for 10 years. So what's changed? We have secure elections. We have record turnout. We have record registrations. What we really need to work on are measures where people agree on things. The large majority of Americans agree with me that only American citizens should be voting in our elections. Let's pass a U.S. constitutional amendment that only American citizens vote in our elections. And number two, 80 percent of all Americans believe in photo ID. Both political parties, majorities of both political parties and all demographic groups believe in photo ID. But instead, they go down this rabbit trail that just their far left wing base believes in any of this stuff. Same day registration. And they want to do away with photo ID. You'll have non-citizens voting in the next day. But I mean – the reason why I'm offended, it's it just because it's such an insult to intelligence. And every time you bring up race, you better be sure you're right. And you're saying people like you, uh, people like your governor, anybody that voted for this is is Jefferson Davis. I mean, is, is Bull Connor. I mean, what you did is and I think the messaging has got to be stronger from you guys, unless there's some stuff you're embarrassed by, because what you did is you reined in some of the changes that happened for the pandemic. People were not secure about coming out, so everyone got a ballot. Now you'll have to request a ballot ahead of time. When it comes to signature match, there was controversy with that. So you changed it. You said, hey, would you jot down your license number or the last four digits of his Social Security number, correct? Correct. But actually, we never sent out absentee ballots unless it was requested. We never changed state law. That's changed. That's been the way it's been since 2005. Oh, really? But now we. So that wasn't in 2020? No, that was okay, not my bad. 2020. No, no, no worries. Uh, there was a lot of misinformation after the election. But having photo ID is going to give people you know, confidence in the security of the system. And it's a nonpartisan issue. They're using it in Minnesota. We're now using it. Photo ID where your last four digits of your Social Security number. They're going to do the same thing in Texas. That's just a lot more secure than just plain old signature match. So why do you think Stacey Abrams wasn't there yesterday? Oh, you'd have to ask her, and I'm sure she doesn't come on your show too often. But, but she probably, you know, doesn't want the, uh, you know, they always say rats flee a uh, sinking ship. And you look at Biden's ship is sinking. Look at Afghanistan, the border, inflation, supply chain, and you know, it just the list goes on and on. And then his Build Back Better plan went down in flames. He couldn't find the support of his own political party to pass it. Thankfully, because it was a three trillion dollar boondoggle. So a couple of things. What did you, before you even changed anything, and I know the controversy with the president calling you up, and we could debate that another time. We have talked about that. But when you were done, did you say to yourself, I have to make sure this changes for, 20, for the next big election, 2022 and 2024? What some of the things that Brad Raffensperger wanted to change? Well, when I ran in 2018, I ran 
that only American citizens should be voting in our elections. And that's something that we haven't gotten yet. We need a constitutional amendment in Georgia. I said we need to have photo ID. I didn't get that until three years later. And I bet you most people wish we would have had it back in 2020. But we have a verifiable paper ballot, which I ran on, and that paper ballot allowed us to do a 100% hand recount, lets us do audits so we can verify the results. And I understand in polarized times, half the people are going to be happy and the other half are going to be disappointed. But at least with an audit and a hand recount, you can verify the vote totals. So uh, your takeaway, are you getting personal blowback where people are accusing you of being racist because you're putting this stuff in play, especially after the president's remarks, especially after the All-Star game was pulled out of uh, the Major League Baseball All-Star game was pulled out of Georgia? I think people understand that I've made some hard decisions. Uh, I'm a conservative Republican, but I'll follow the law and I'll follow the Constitution. And so I think I bring the moral authority that I can say that SB 202 has so many good measures in it. In fact, one of these is that when you request your absentee ballot, we have an 11-day cutoff now. Before you could request it up until Election Day, well, you'd never get your ballot. So now we've set up a process that works for the voter and it works for the counties. There's just a lot of good measures. We finally have accountability on Fulton County. Any county that does continues to mess up like Fulton County has can be put under a review panel, and that's what they're doing right now, to see does that board need to be replaced? Do they need a new election director? And Fulton County's got the message. They're getting a new election director, and the review panel is ongoing. It's a bipartisan panel, and they report back to the state election uh, state election board. And so you're going to get progress reports, and are they working to fix Fulton County? And I think accountability is always a good thing. Here's uh, what uh, Joe Biden said about people like you who are doing this in Georgia. Cut five. The next few days, when these bills come to a vote, will mark a turning point in this nation's history. We will choose. The issue is, will we choose democracy over autocracy, light over shadows, justice over injustice? I know where I stand. I will not yield. I will not flinch. I will defend the right to vote, our democracy against all enemies, foreign and, yes, domestic. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty harsh, uh, what he's accusing you guys of doing. Well, he's trying to say because of January 6th, that justifies bad legislation. And this is really bad legislation. Same-day registration, doing away with photo ID. Every country in Europe virtually has photo ID. And every country in Europe does not allow non-citizens to vote. And yet here in America, we're allowing non-citizens to vote. This is what he wants is banana republic politics. No, we have to have rule of law. We need to know who these voters are. They need to be American citizens, and they need to live in the states that they're voting in. We don't need a top-down federal one-size-fits-all. We don't need a mail-in state. It doesn't work for Georgia. We don't want that. What we want is people can vote absentee. You request a ballot. We'll send it to you with photo ID. You show up. We've added additional dates for early voting. We now have more early voting in his home state. And then, obviously, you can vote on Election Day. We don't need a national holiday if you have a mail-in state like California. So there's so many nonsensical things in their policies. It's just cheap rhetoric. Unfortunately, if it ever passed, it would be very costly for every American. Right. And right now, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema and maybe even Senator Kelly are not going to are not for blowing up the filibuster that would actually put this on the fast track to passing. Uh, So, uh, Brad, you have raised so much more money than you did at this point last time in your last election. But you are second because Jody Heiss, backed by President Trump, uh, the former congresswoman, uh, she has raised more money than you. How concerned are you? 
Well, races are uh, built on getting your message out, and I'll run on the truth. I'll run on my integrity, and I have something to stand on. The other side, you know, Congressman Heiss, he can't run on the truth, so he'll be standing on a lie. And I think that's a tough spot for a pastor to be in. Um, in particular, there's going to be a lot of focus on this race. What are you, uh, how do you, who do you think is emerging, or do you have you endorsed anybody for that Senate seat that uh, Warnock will have to fight to keep? No. As Secretary of State, uh, I've made it a practice not to endorse uh, candidates of any, you know, uh, of my political party. Obviously, I vote Republican, but uh, I stay out of that because I let the process go through because we do oversee elections. I just don't think that's an appropriate position for the Secretary of State to take. Do but we have a lot, lot of good candidates, and the people will decide. So, Brad, do you think overall with a state that's so hard to win now for Republicans, it's not easy. Every race is going to be close, almost like Florida these days. Uh, do you are you concerned that President Trump back candidates for governor and for your position, secretary of state and uh, who knows down the line? Do you do you feel as though they'll divide your party and you'll have a revisit of these Senate runoff seats uh, that went to Democrats last time? Well, I won't speak about other races. I'll just speak about mine. We've done polling and Jody Heiss, we know, cannot win statewide. I can. I am the Republican that can win statewide in the state of Georgia and the only one that can. All right, Brad, thanks. Did you have any second thoughts because of all the stress that your family was under uh, from the pressure that you had after the election? No, people have questioned my integrity. I'm going to stand on that, and that's why I'm running, and that's why I'm going to win. And I'm going to be very grateful for the goodness and the kindness of the average Georgian that understand that I did what was right. I stood on the law, and I stood in the Constitution. Uh, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger wants the job again. Uh, Brad, thanks so much for checking in. Thank you, Brian. You got it. one 408 When we come back, I'll take your calls. At the bottom of the hour, a real special segment with Dave Isay. Uh, he was featured on 60 Minutes, as I mentioned. He has a way of bringing the country together. And I'm not saying it's a cure-all, but it's fascinating. Don't move. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You know, I think he's forgotten who he works for. You know, we work for the elected people of our state, all of them. We also work for the taxpayers, but certainly he does too. You know, he makes $420,000 a year, and yet he thinks that that somehow gives him the immunity to use his office to attack other scientists. I, I think it's really dangerous that he's gotten into his head that somehow he represents all of science, that anybody criticizes, criticizes him, prepare for the takedown, prepare for Fauci and others to conspire to ruin your reputation. And I think that's a terrible role model for anybody in government. I know that is. And he's, for the most part, has said that. I mean, but he's not used to getting any pushback. When he gets some pushback, he really freaks out. Anthony Fauci, uh, Senator Rand Paul, Senator Marshall to a degree, totally got in his head. And the, where he's more concerned about surviving these to have this testimony than he is pulling us through this latest variant which he did not see coming straight ahead, which he'd been couching back and forth and how to handle it. He's been critical of the CDC as if he is not in the White House talking to him behind the scenes. Congressman James Conner was on with Laura Ingram last night. They even talked about the fact that Fauci and Collins still have not got back to the genesis of the entire pandemic. And he's never come clean on that. Cut 30. Anyone 
that suggested that this was man-made or that this could have been leaked from the Wuhan lab was shot down by Dr. Fauci. He was chastised by Dr. Fauci and the liberal news media. Dr. Collins was clearly trying to spin this with the public. They were watching the press and they were concerned that Americans and Republicans in particular would start digging into this and, and find out that the probability that this was man-made and the probability that this was leaked from that lab is very high. And right now, the Chinese have five million people locked down as the Olympics are on the threshold of uh, coming ashore in the Winter Games. They're going to China. So five million people locked down. Another town had some people test positive. They just lock them down and deliver food. Some people on social media in China that's allowed to get out are complaining that they're forgetting to deliver the food. So you have heavily vaccinated countries like the Netherlands, 85 percent of vaccinated. They're getting hit with a surge. China, zero tolerance. We will lock you up in your own apartments, jail you if you're an official and your town gets out of control. And that has resulted in five million people being locked in their homes in Australia. You see what's happening there. People reporting each other in Canada. They're in virtual all lockdown and they're still getting hit by a surge. So don't tell me you have figured it out. When you say you have, I know you're not telling the truth. And I watched the Moderna CEO be interviewed, and he says, right now, our, in front of testimony, uh, our vaccine offers little, if not limited, protection from this variant. What? He says, three doses give you a little bit more protection. Really? Fantastic. When are you going to tell us that? Number two, he's working on another. And guess what? That's going to focus on Omicron. Omicron, if it has the same characteristics and has the same timeline as the one day where it started in South Africa, we think it started in South Africa, is going to fall quick, even by the end of January. You know, maybe in the Midwest it'll burn a little later, but right now it's going to fall by the end of January. And then we're going to be forced to take this just in case. It's crowded out Delta, thankfully, by all accounts. And now this is going to move ahead, and Moderna comes out and says, yeah, I'm not sure this helps. But you have the president of the United States saying, get vaccinated. You have people like Howard Stern say this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated and thinks Djokovic should be kicked out of tennis for not getting vaccinated. But he had the virus December 15th and was told he can play. Now he can't play. Uh, now he can play again. Djokovic has played competing in the Australian Open. So it's really created a lot of anger in this country. And fundamentally, it's because people aren't candid about what's going on with this. Real quick, Victor Davis Hanson last night with Laura, excuse me, on primetime, cut 29. There's something very sick about trying to leverage a pandemic that's killed millions of people to push through an agenda that otherwise in normal times would have no constituency at all. The global version of Gavin Newsom here in California saying that we're going to get progressive capitalism out of COVID, or Hillary Clinton said we'll get single-payer health care, or Jane Fonda said, thank God for COVID, we can get rid of Donald Trump. Does anybody really believe that these elites, and this is a top-down phenomenon, there's no popular support for it, but does anybody believe that these people who talk so elegantly about carbon emissions are going to park all those jets at Davos? No, there isn't. Victor Davis Hanson puts it all in perspective. People profiting off the pandemic, sickening. How do we come together? Our next guest will let you know what he's doing. Really intriguing. Don't move. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So we match strangers who um, disagree politically to put them face to face for 50 minutes. It's not to talk about politics. It's just to talk about your lives. Facilitators begin by asking the participants to read one another's biography out loud, as in this recent session in Richmond, Virginia. 
The project tries to match people who may be from different political parties but have something else in common. Hi. I grew up as an army brat and an evangelical Christian, surrounded by a very powerful ideology of conservatism, patriotism, and religion. I am a Baptist pastor and performance artist, a native Charlottesvillian, graduate of the University of Virginia and Union Theological Seminary in New York City. Participants are encouraged to focus on what they share. We're pastors and we're, we're, we're helping people to find their path and find their voice. Mm. Oh, Brenda, I love what you just said about helping people find their path because I feel such a connection there. So uh, I don't have to tell you that we're a polarized society, that the people are say, really dug in in their political beliefs and begin to stop talking to family members or friends if they disagree. David Isay said the same thing. He noticed that. So we created what you just heard, One Small Step. It's an offshoot of StoryCorps. And StoryCorps is a way of people to come in and tell their stories, their own personal stories. It doesn't have to be on Entertainment Tonight, not something that might appear on Inside Edition or be featured on 60 Minutes, but so-called average everyday Americans telling their stories and putting it into the archives and letting them know that their story matters. David Isay is taking on this ambitious project, which is laudable. Uh, David, congratulations on getting 60 Minutes attention again. What? Uh, tell me about uh, what, how 60 Minutes got a hold of you and, and realized this project was something worth doing. Brian, hey, it's great to be on your show. Thanks. Yeah, 60 Minutes did a feature on One Small Step over the weekend. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think we, we launched about eight months ago. And uh, it's, it's, you know, as you said, we live, things are a little bit bonkers right now in this, in this country. Um, and, uh, you know, this isn't the country we want to leave for our kids, where we see our neighbors as our most dangerous enemies. And uh, given, given all that's going on, I think that they felt like there was a story there. And also, as you said, kind of the bigger story of StoryCorps, which is this uh, 18-year-old effort, um, as you said, just about us, just about regular people, where two people who love each other, you bring your grandmother to a booth and interview her about her life um, with the help of a facilitator. It's just audio. And that interview goes to the Library of Congress so your great, 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 great grandkids can get to know your grandmother through her voice and story. Um, you know, it's the beauty and power, power and grace and poetry and the stories hiding in plain sight all around us when we take the time to listen. And, you know, as as the polarization began to, uh, you know, like uh, uh, like a hockey stick, just go absolutely crazy. We thought, you know, we're, we're a nonprofit in the human connection business. Is there some way we can take the methodology we have of putting people together and uh, put strangers together and see if we can make a difference? And we tested it and tested it. You know, our Hippocratic oath is we do no harm to people. Um, so um, we spent a long time making sure that this was something that made a difference, and it does. And we've started now scaling this as well. And the dream is to convince the country it's our patriotic duty to see the humanity in people we disagree with. Right. Uh, so I mean, to be like able to talk, said, David. So you what you believe, that, yeah. and uh, there's a, there's a theory behind this. You call it, it is called the contact theory that if people disagree. It's harder to disagree when you stare at each other face to face, and and put each other in close. each scene. Whether it's Russia, whether it's Russia in the U.S. or Russia NATO, when you it's easy to sit there and and throw barbs at each other. But when you sit behind a table, uh, hopefully they could start seeing a little bit more of how the other side thinks. So how did you execute this for people that miss your 60 Minutes? How did you execute this project? Sure. And it's not just how the other side thinks. It's just reminding people that the other side are human beings um, because we've forgotten that. And when you bring up the Russian and Chinese, I mean, there are polls out that say that we hate our 
you know, our, our neighbors across the political divides and fear them more than we do our traditional international adversaries like the Russian and Chinese. So um, as you heard in that clip, the, the, the execution of this is pretty simple. You sign up. We have a website, takeonesmallstep.org, and you write, you write a bio. And um, you t- talk a little bit about your politics, and we match you with someone across the political divides. And as it said in the piece, usually there's something that you have in common with that person, though you don't know what it is. You get the bio of your partner, um, and as you heard in that clip, you when, when the interview starts – and all these are done now over um, – a special secure video connection um, that um, you know feels like you're there with the other person. It's um, a kind of a bespoke, easy to use uh, uh, video platform, and you read your partner's um, bio to them. They read it to you, and you talk not about politics, just about your lives. And at the end of these interviews, um, you know these are people. I mean, you you know this. It's like what what's life about except being surprised, right? You, you know, you realize someone who you might have thought was nuts is just like you. I mean, we have, there's so much more we share in common as a country than divides us. Uh, And at the end of every one of these interviews, they go on for 50 minutes. At the end of the interviews, every single one ends the same way. Like, let's take a walk together. You know, when the pandemic's over, I'm having you for dinner. Uh, uh, Let me have your phone number. And, you know, we just, like you said, it's when, when when we see each other face to face, we're reminded of the truth. And that truth is that you know, if we spent more time listening to each other and less time screaming, we'd be a much stronger country. So um, if I wanted to, if people listening right now want to participate, do you pair them up? Do they reach out yes. and apply with you? Yes. So um, we will pair you up. I mean, we have a waiting list now of about 7,000 people. Wow. Um, <laughs> but we're, get, we're, we're, we're working through it and we're staffing up and we're going to get through that. Um, so it may be a little bit of a wait, a couple of weeks. But, yeah, you just sign up and we pair you with someone um, and you don't meet them face to face. You just meet them online um, and you have this conversation. And, you know, it, it, we've we've had we've done about a thousand of these so far and not one of them has gone wrong. So but, but can mean, you tell me what's little... gone right? Can you tell me? What usually happens? Have you having some universal truths to what you've observed? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think people when people talk when when people get on these on these um, conversations, it's very similar to a typical story core conversation, in that you know people are, people talk about you know who is kindest to you in your life, who are your parents. Um, people realize you know I'm thinking about an interview now. Um, between a conservative guy and, and, and a liberal woman. And the conservative guy's father had um, been a photographer in World War II and uh, had liberated the camps. And he talked about when his father showed him the pictures of the camps when he was four years old. And the, and the woman says that her parents, you know, had survived the Holocaust, you know. And you go, you have a conversation like that, and you b- begin to build some social capital, you know, so that when when you know when we start you know doubting each other and fearing each other you've got you've got this kind of tunnel to someone across the divides that you can reach out to and remind yourself that you know this is america we can do better than this you know are we going to are we going to throw stones at each other or pick them up and build a better country together talking to david i say uh his his programs were featured on 60 Minutes. Again, this was the second time he did it, but he's trying to break ground and make a difference. Rather than sit back and say, man, the country's polarized, he's trying one, uh, two people at a time to change that uh, so people learn to talk to each other, and hopefully it grows exponentially. So, David, just to fundamentally, can we go back to your first program? Uh, and that uh, the first program uh, is StoryCorps. Yes. And 
So here's an example of StoryCorps. So what you do is get two people who are related or friends, and they talk to each other about their story. Um, here's an example, and this is a – just to set it up, these are two kids talking about their dad as a Vietnam veteran and has experienced uh, loss of memory. He served as a U.S. military pilot in World War II and Korea and Vietnam. Two of his children, Isabel and Juan Pablo Encinas, came to StoryCorps to remember him. When I was little, I remember him flying in in his fighter jet and us waiting for him on the tarmac and thinking, oh, my God, what a hero my father is. As he got older, he was diagnosed with dementia. But even at the end when he cognitively wasn't all there, he would hear a plane and just look up and stare at it in the sky. And you could tell that he just wanted to be up in that plane with every ounce of his being. Maybe he's listening to us somewhere up there. (laughs) I hope so. That story's great. You have pictures that go along with it. Where does yeah. it go? So we've had 600,000 people participate in StoryCorps. Um, and a few of them are edited into these little three-minute segments that we make animations out of. You can find it at StoryCorps, dot org. Um, uh, all of the interviews go to the Library of Congress. Uh, and again, I mean... This is, as you said at the beginning, it, it, you know, when you when you sit with your grandparent and you ask them who they are, you know, how do they want to be remembered? It reminds them that they matter and they won't be forgotten. Every interview goes to the Library of Congress, you know. So, you know, we know that um, that you know all the people around us, our grandparents, they deserve to be part of American history. But you know, a lot of people feel in this country like their stories don't matter, and that's that's part of what StoryCorps is saying that. Every story matters equally and infinitely, and we got to listen to each other. And, you know, those stories, as you know, that aren't the famous people on entertainment, you know, tonight or whatever, those are the stories that really matter. And those are the stories that stick with us for the rest of our lives. So that's what we're trying to do. It's, you know, tilting at windmills. It's a bit of a difficult effort given the culture, but um, we believe in it with every cell in our body, and we're going to keep fighting this fight until we win. You know, what's interesting is that I've had a chance to travel, and most of Fox viewers and listeners are outside New York. So we're located in New York. Yep. It's in New York City. So I probably, over the last, between my book tour from November to January, I probably met 5,000 people. And there's, no one could care less about the subway system in New York or who the mayor is. They're talking about their yep. own lives, their own things, and as it relates to them. And I find it all fascinating. I, I find them as interesting, if not the secretaries of states I get a chance to talk to, on a regular basis, and I just love the fact that instead of me just th- – I talk about it. You actually did it, so credit to you. And this is another example of what's on uh, StoryCorps. Listen to this. Are you proud of me? Of course. You're my man. I, I just love everything about you, period. The thing I love about you, you never gave up on me. That's one of the things I will always remember by my dad. So a father and son talking about each other at that age, at that time. And you're starting to animate them, I understand, too, so people get a visual. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, Yes. And you can you can um, you can watch these things again uh, at our website. There's hundreds of animations. There's thousands of stories to listen to and hundreds of thousands of stories at the Library of Congress. And, you know, what what you said, as you said, traveling around is, is, is exactly right. Um, that, that, you know, that our stories are, you know, it's, it's also, I, I know you, you write fantastic history books, you know, that we, history is so often told through, you know, states, people and politicians and, and, you know, hearing history through our voices, through our stories has, 
you know, something really powerful to add to that to that story, um, a bottom up kind of history of, of who we are. Well, you brought that up, too, because one of the main things that attracted me to the last project is Frederick Douglass uh, wrote his own biography um, and then he updated it three times. So it just wipes yep. out the analysis and the opinion part yep. of it. So you get them firsthand and then the other people right around it. I was like, that's all I need. So that's to me, exactly right. Yeah, that's, that's what exactly. you're doing. And, and, I, and I, I, just one other, one other thing, which is that the, and the other lesson I'm sure you learned from going around on your book tour, we have facilitators who travel around like recording these stories, listening to people, um, whether it's regular story core, one small step. And we've had hundreds of them who serve a tour of duty with us. Again, we're a nonprofit, you know, bearing witness to these interviews and every single one of them, when they come off the road, if you ask them what they learn, they give a version of the Anne Frank quote that people are basically good. And you could say that maybe it was there was some kind of a selection bias when we did tens or hundreds or thousands of interviews. But when you're in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands, there's a truth to it. I mean, as Americans, we are basically good and we've forgotten that. And we have to remember that for the future of our democracy, because a democracy cannot survive in a swamp of mutual contempt. How do you survive with these programs? I know you don't say it's nonprofit. Do people sponsor you? Yeah. So we, um, I spend my, we, we, we raise money from donors. And um, uh, and we work very, very, very hard, as you know, uh, people do in the nonprofit sector and we and we make it work. Um, uh, we have we have corporate sponsors. We have individual donors. We have uh, foundations on the left and right. And I think, you know, people are, are aware that, you know, this this what, what's called toxic polarization in the country. And this is not about arguing with each other. Arguing with each other is completely healthy. It's what a democracy is all about. It's when we st- Stop seeing the humanity in each other, that things get really out of whack. Um, it's called affective polarization. And, you know, we know what happens with affective polarization. The, in, in Nazi Germany, the, um, the um, Nazis used to call the Jews untermenschen, less than human. When we start to see each other than, as less than human, you enter a very, very dangerous territory. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, but that's where we're going in this country. Uh, and with one small step, that's what we're fighting against with every breath in our body. Because um, because our country won't be able to hold if um, if we cannot see the humanity in one another. Understood. Real quick, how do you feel if uh, like an AOC and Jim Jordan sat down? Do you think that would be something not only get attention to your program but would help? Probably not. Um, unfortunately, I, I mean it's a good idea, um, but. People have preconceived notions about a Jim Jordan and AOC, so they already hate AOC or they already hate Jim Jordan. When you've got everyday people sitting down, you don't know these people, so you haven't turned them off yet in your in your mind. If, does that make sense, Brian? Do you know what I mean? I understand. So, um, I mean, we are going to do stuff in Washington, D.C., but I think what we're going to do is do it behind closed doors so these folks can get to know each other as human beings but not release it uh, because the, the environment, especially on Twitter, is so toxic. That um, I'm, I'm not sure that it'll that it'll help in the cause of just, you know, so, shifting social norms. You know, at one point, you know, it's not a perfect analogy, but smoking was cool and sexy and then it wasn't, you know, and right now treating each other like garbage um, and, you know, treating each other without humanity is cool and sexy. And, you know, what we have to do is make it so it's it garbage. isn't anymore. It's not yeah. OK. It's not I, OK. I hear you. Uh, David, thanks so much for what you do. You deserve tremendous credit. You can follow him at Dave Isay. That's Dave I-S-A-Y. Dave, thank you. Brian, thanks a lot. I really appreciate the yeah. time. Two programs, well. One Small Step and uh, StoryCorps. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with you in just a moment. I want to hear your story. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Filibuster is what makes the Senate hopefully work when it's supposed to work. We need some good rules changes, and we can do that together. But you change the rules with two-thirds of the people that are present. So it's Democrats and Republicans changing the rules to make the place work better. Getting rid of filibuster does not make it work better. Yeah, t- tell that to Chuck Schumer. Say he's going to meet over and over again. All the uh, senator, all the senators are going to go meet with Senator Kane and company. The so-called moderates are going to meet and try to convince Joe Manchin. Good luck with that. Julie, listening in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Julie. Hey there. We have seen two examples in the past week that our key leaders do not understand the Constitution. Yesterday, Biden t- said in Georgia that we shouldn't let the minority of senators uh, stand in the way of voting rights. Has he not heard the premise, the tyranny of the majority? Our Constitution was set up to prevent the majority from running roughshod over minorities, including gays, blacks, minorities that need to be protected from time to time. So he is not upholding the Constitution. He's not defending it when he talks like that. Second example is Justice Sotomayor last week. She questioned. She said, I do not understand why a state can mandate vaccines. The federal government can't. Is she serious? Does she not understand federalism, that the federal government is not supposed to to control everything, that we, you know, anything that's not reserved to the federal government belongs to the state? So it's really concerning when our leaders just don't understand, you know, the the framework of our country. I know, Julie, I hear it. I'm concerned. And the plus, he can't even add. uh, That's 52 senators that don't want to do what he wants to do. Uh, You're a great caller. Thanks so much. Uh, Keep in mind, on Outnumbered, top of the hour. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Thanks Kilmeade. Thanks so much for everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, one 408 7669 We're joined by Kenny Linder at the bottom uh, the in 45 minutes. He's one of the top agents uh, out there today. He talks about a winning this year and how to put together a winning pitch. He's going to be with us with this brand new book. Martha McCallum is going to be scrambling here, getting set for her show, uh, which starts at 3 o'clock today. She'll be joining us first, as she does just about every Wednesday. But right now, let's bring in Senator John Cornyn uh, from Texas. Senator Cornyn, I thought about you yesterday. I also watched some of the C-SPAN coverage of your speech. Uh, going to bat for some of the changes in Texas voting law, were you surprised how uh, how angry the president was yesterday in Georgia? And and how we talked about race as if this and actually his term was Jim Crow 2.0. Yeah, Brian, I was I was kind of embarrassed for the president. I just thought that uh, you know here he was uh, sounding like a demagogue, uh, saying things that he knew were not true, and advocating for things he fought against for 30 years during the time he was in the Senate, which is the elimination of the 60 vote requirement before you can vote on bipartisan legislation. And then just uh, coming after states like Georgia and Texas, which actually have more expansive voting laws than his home state of Delaware. I thought it was embarrassing. Uh, I thought so, too. And I was a little insulted because he was uh, some of the comparisons he was making with Jefferson Davis and Lincoln really cut for. History has never been kind to those who've sided with voter suppression over voters' rights. And it would be even less kind for those who side with election subversion. So I ask every elected official in America, how do you want to be remembered? 
At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be the side, the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? I mean, really? What were you thinking when you heard that? Well, I just thought how out of touch uh, the president must be, um, because what he was talking about had zero to do uh, with the subject at hand. I mean, the Constitution gives the states the authority to basically conduct their elections. And what we're talking about here is an attempt to hijack um, the state election laws in favor of a one-size-fits-all, Washington-knows-best election law. But if you look at the details of, of, the, of, of what they're proposing, I think it sort of exposes this as a partisan political power grab. Uh, 94%, according to a Pew poll uh, dated November the 20th, 2020, 94% of the respondents said they found it was easy to vote in 2020. And when you start looking at the proposals uh, that the Democrats have made in this, uh, this federal uh, hot takeover, it, it does things like eliminates the use of voter ID, which is broadly supported on a bipartisan basis. It just makes common sense. It mandates things like uh, uh, ballot harvesting, which selects political operatives going to nursing homes and among other vulnerable populations, presumably helping them cast their ballot and then voting for them in lieu of their uh, doing it themselves. And then things like forcing taxpayers, people like you and me, through our tax dollars to support political candidates we disagree with. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's crazy, but the only way they can sell this is through this false narrative of, of voter suppression. There are laws in place, like the Voting Rights Act, which help uh, protect against that. But, you know, the record we saw in 2020, as the Pew poll says, is that uh, 94 percent of the public on a broad bipartisan basis, uh, people of every background and, and calling in life found it easy to vote. And that's not going to change. But that's what they, they, they say that because of that, that's why Republicans are reining it in. Some facts about the Texas law. Two weeks to vote in person, early voting, extended voting hours in 60 different Texas counties, uh, clarifying online, um, uh, clarifying you can still vote. Your vote will still count if you're online or the polls closed, if you're online already. Uh, And you'll test all these systems before they actually are asked to work for the election season. So they're all going to be tested and run through. So uh, first off, did I forget anything? What other changes to the Texas law? Well, it, it will allow us to go through the voting rolls and make sure that people who have uh, died uh, can't cast a ballot. You know, we've, we've got a history, and I know you're a student of Texas history, Brian, uh, given the books that you've written about Texas. Um, but Box, uh, box 13 in Duval County uh, is a famous example of election fraud where basically uh, they voted folks in the cemetery in alphabetical order, uh, which resulted in the election ultimately of Lyndon Baines Johnson over Coke Stevenson. So election, we need to make it easier for people to vote who are qualified to vote, but harder for people to cheat. And that's what the Texas election law does. So uh, in particular, um, uh there, there's a fear that Joe Manchin will break, uh, Mark Kelly will break, he has not read in, or Kirsten Sinema will break. If that happens on a simple majority, they'll pass this legislation. Then what? 
well, then I presume it'll be tied up in litigation for the next few years. Um, you know, we start early voting in Texas in about a month. So there's no way that any of this could be implemented in 2022. But I think what they're shooting for is 2024. But I think this proposal is unconstitutional. The Constitution explicitly gives to the states the authority to determine the time and manner of elections in the states. And uh, I think this would ultimately end up before the, the United States Supreme Court. So if, if what we want to do is instill public confidence that people's votes will be counted and, and that people who are not qualified to vote will not be allowed to vote, uh, this is really doing the opposite. This is creating a lot more uncertainty, a lot of chaos, and I think will discourage rather than encourage uh, legitimate votes in the next election. So the other big story is what I just alluded to, and that's the filibuster. Kamala Harris, who used to be a senator, said this about you guys, cut 12. Senate Republicans have exploited arcane rules to block these bills. And let us be clear The Constitution of the United States gives the Congress the power to pass legislation, and nowhere, nowhere does the Constitution give a minority the right to unilaterally block legislation. So what is she referring to, that uh, that this uh, two-thirds majority is not in the Constitution, that that is something that came in later, and that she's she's going to forget the Democrats blocked, I think, filibustered 300 times during the four years of Donald Trump? Yeah, I remember specifically, Brian, when uh, Tim Scott, in the wake of the George Floyd uh, killing, um, introduced police reforms, um, and we tried to get that up in front of the Senate, and it was uh, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris who joined a filibuster to prevent those reforms from being even considered in voting on. So the Democrats have used the filibuster for their purposes for a long time. And, of course, you've heard all of the quotes from everybody from Chuck Schumer to to Dick Durbin to Joe Biden himself talking about the importance of it. Now, you know, the filibuster is frustrating to any party that's in the majority in the Senate, even if you have a bare 51-vote majority. But it actually helps serve a useful purpose because it forces us to do something that doesn't come natural, which is to work together to build bipartisan consensus. But in a country as big as ours, 330-plus million people, um, with so much diversity and so many differences, it it makes sense that we would be forced, that we would have a rule that would force us to debate and fully understand the consequences intended and otherwise of of laws that would affect 330 million people. So there is a a good reason for this rule, and I think uh, Kamala Harris, unfortunately, is falling victim to the same sort of demagoguery that we saw uh, President Biden engage in yesterday. So last question, and you got to run. A year ago, after January 6th, uh, the disaster, which is after the rally, the raid on the, on the Capitol, and then you lose two Senate races, you lose the majority in the Senate. So you lost the White House, you barely lost the House, but the, and you lost the Senate after that. The Republicans were in as dire straits as I have seen. Why are you guys back with such strength? 
How did you do it? Well, well, I well, I think we can thank Joe Biden and uh, their overreach. Um, I think uh, you know he, Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer are all afraid of their progressive base. Chuck Schumer is afraid of AOC uh, primarying him in New York, and Nancy Pelosi. The only way she could maintain her role as speaker was to appease the progressives in the House. But because of their overreach and because of the, frankly, the incompetence of uh, the Biden administration, I think people are willing to give Republicans another chance. And uh, we need to take advantage of that. I think we'll win the House back. We've got a few primaries to sort out in the Senate, but all we need is a one, a net of one in the Senate. And we'll be back for the last two years of President Biden's uh, first term of office, which I think will be a, an effective check on some of the excesses and the incompetence we've seen in the first two years. Uh, Senator John Cornyn always keeps his cool under pressure. Uh, you did not overreact to being called Bo Connor. Or Jefferson Davis. <laughs> so, uh, once again, I think you guys just got to spell out what you did uh, rather than allow other people to define what the laws really are. Uh, Absolutely. What they think they are. Thanks, Senator. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, when we come back, Martha McCallum joins us. You'll listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The only thing that came out of Senator Rand Paul and, to some extent, Senator Roger Marshall were ad hominems, which does nothing but distract from what we really need to be doing. We, we have a pandemic that everyone knows right now is like a tsunami on us. We're going to have close to a million people a day getting infected, and we have close to a million people who are going to die, 850,000 people dying. And instead of using it in a constructive manner, they're distracting it with things that are, are patently untrue. Uh, so I, I can't explain that, Anderson, except what I brought up at the hearing, that it clearly is politically motivated. They're, they're, he is, he's, he's raising money for his campaign by making me the villain. Oh, really? Uh, so Anthony Fauci doesn't want to answer a question, so when he goes on outlets, they won't ask him a good question. They'll let him just rant. That's Anderson Cooper with Anthony Fauci yesterday after the fireworks took place in round three with with um, with Rand Paul. And, and with, by the way, with Senator Marshall and others who asked him direct questions, and he didn't give direct answers. Martha McCallum's here. How do I know? I saw her. She's right next to me. I'm allowed Hello to. Hello Brian. She's host of the story. Starts at 3 o'clock. Uh, Martha, what was your take of the fireworks yesterday? Because it was, that actually, was that taking place during your show? Um, it was, was that before because we talked to Rand Paul at the top of the hour. My audio is cutting in and out. I don't know if it's something that. Do you want me to fire somebody or uh, yes, the, immediately. right? Or I'm going to campaign <laughs> uh, on it. I'm going to raise money <laughs> off the problems. You know, so I, I, I obviously Rand Paul and others wanted to focus on the origins of the virus, which I think is an extremely important topic to cover. Um, however, I felt like there was not enough time spent on shifting our focus to where that where we are now with this. I feel like we're solving yesterday's problem. We're treating it as if it's 2020 in terms of masking the entire country and testing the entire country. You're gonna get me N95s, which, really? Which is not which is not tenable. You can't mask the entire country or test the entire country. And I I just can't believe there weren't more pointed questions in there about what we need to do 
with Omicron, we don't even know for a fact. We don't do any studies. You and I have spoke about this, spoken about this before. It's like, oh, did you see what happened in Denmark? And did you see what happened in uh, Ontario? Israel? Where they discovered that people who had the vaccine and the booster became more likely, it appears. This is a preprint study. We're waiting for it to come out. But according to this uh, report in the Wall Street Journal, um, it appears that people became more likely to get Omicron. And maybe, as was suggested by Vivek Ramaswamy and uh, Dr. Ramaswamy, maybe it makes sense to allow this much milder version to affect people in schools and across the country and protect those who are vulnerable, make sure they have a mask, make sure that people are tested before they go see them. Maybe that's the way to go. But, you know, that's not what we're hearing about. That's not not what Dr. Fauci's talking about, not answering questions that are really pertinent to today. Right. Uh, We want therapeutics, right? So uh, if we get it, it should be automatically. Like, take two Tylenol. You you got a headache, you take two Tylenol right away. Stop the migraine before it digs in. Whatever it is, so therapeutics, we got to get them as quick as possible. Why there's not more outrage that this Pfizer 30-pill regimen, which is five a day, is not commonplace. It's unbelievable. He orders $10 million, Then he reordered $20 million. How many people in our country again? How's that going to help? Does anyone know anyone who's taken no. Paxlovid? I don't know. I don't know a single person, right? Now, now this is the key. You want to prevent people from having to go to the hospital. So if you're home and you start to experience more serious um, effects... The, as the second that that happens, you should be able to call your doctor, have a telemedicine visit, whatever you do, and the doctor should be able to put you on either monoclonal antibodies or Paxlovid or any of the, of the other treatments that have been right. shown to, to be effective, steroids. You, know, you need to get that immediately before the inflammation kicks in in your lungs and your other organs. That is the moment that you need to get treatment. So why is it so impossible to find? Oh, or the, yeah, the, the monoclonal antibodies. Uh, they're the ones, I guess there's three versions. They say the only one works. So we collected them all. The federal government collected them all and took them from the governors. Isn't that When three bizarre? weeks ago we said, this is not going to be solved in the federal level. It's going to be the governors, which, by the way, is what the governor said and what President Trump has said. And the one thing is pretty clear, even uh, Governor Hogan, who, who seems like a decent enough guy but is big anti-Trumper, he was saying, well, the, you know, the president would come on. Uh, he would have these conference calls, and they're helpful. His staff is helpful, and the president would hop on. This president never hops on with governors. He hopped on once to say, you guys are going to take control. Did you see the Moderna CEO testified yesterday? And he said, our vaccine will offer limited to no protection against this variant. I'm like, really? Okay. He goes, and if you want to improve it, you would take the booster, should help a little. But what we're really working on is a Omicron vaccine. It's going to be ready in March. Right. So as soon as uh, Omicron has, you know, just based on, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, but based on what happened in South Africa and what happened in the UK and a couple of other places, um, we see where the, the, this virus spikes and it falls off dramatically. We all hope that's what's going to happen here. We don't know yet. But by, the, by that time, if it follows that pattern, it will be too late for another for an Omicron-specific booster. And, Mr. Pfizer, I had both Pfizer drug foot booster. I had both Pfizer vaccines and the booster. You did. Got Omicron. It was very mild, thank goodness. So maybe some of that protection helped it to be mild. I know that's, you know, that's the assumption. I also know people who didn't take the vaccines and got Omicron, and it was very, very mild. I know people who got the booster and had a stronger case of it. I mean, you can find examples of people all over the board on on what their experience was. Just want to mention Governor Jim Justice, a good friend of the show and our network, and, yeah. and I think America. Uh, does a great job. He's got the virus, and he says it's it's pretty. He feels it's hitting pretty hard. I hope he's getting now, treatment. Is he's he getting any treatment? And big, 
Uh, yeah, evidently he's getting treatment. Monoclonal uh, he, yeah. antibodies yeah. or something, yeah. But evidently Joe Manchin, I saw a tweet in response, we're all praying for you. You know, they've had friction in the past, yeah. but obviously nobody wants something like this. But a guy who's older, who's a little heavy, mm-hmm. you won, and he, he was dub boosted, and he was asking for a fourth shot for West Virginia. So he's not somebody to run from this. He's trying to get everybody vaccinated. Yeah. He did the right thing. Absolutely. And, um, I, and I hope he, I hope the treatments are being given to him, and I hope they can help. And steroids also, you know, people have success with because it lowers inflammation immediately in your body, and that's that's the key, the doctors tell me. Yeah, I also heard the nebulizer, too, with the right yep. mix with those steroids. That's right. Uh, Martha McCallum's going to stick around contractually. She's obligated. She, it's not that we're friends. <laughs> uh, and also, i got to see how that relates to what we're experiencing now with the economy. Don't move. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And I got to say, uh, while our president and this entire administration deserves credit for saving Christmas, this is a man who saved Christmas. Yes, uh, that was Mayor Garcetti giving full credit to Pete Buttigieg, who was uh, once mayor of South Bend. Uh, Martha McCallum here. So he saved Christmas, uh, but he hasn't been able to restock the shelves, Martha. And that is the number one issue in America. It is not some voting law in Georgia or Texas. And what about this saving Christmas? Have we given people to judge enough credit? Oh my gosh. You know, I, I mean <laughs> I, I mean when I look at what he could have done during Christmas, right? He could have sort of brought in National Guard. You could have worked on cleaning up all of the backlogs at the at the ports. Um and it it seems like there's just an an inability to sort of do a hands-on thing. I mean, like right now, it'd be great to see President Biden um, at a place where they're just churning out test after test after test after test, right? But that's not happening. And, you know, that we, we can go into a whole other uh, look at that. But inflation is real. Um, it's at its highest level, up seven points in this period, uh, highest level since 1982. And I think that what's happened is that now, finally, um, the Trader Joe's uh, counters and shelves are empty, and um, people actually didn't get their Peloton treadmill. And so now Washington is also upset because these right. things are actually – they can't get a test at their local CVS. And so now you're seeing um, people who maybe weren't affected by it initially uh, and who claimed that it was just a problem of, of the elite are experiencing it themselves. So the Washington Post did a story. They, why are the shelves? So they admit it. The shelves are empty. Right. I, I actually saw that because I have um, – I had laser surgery. Uh, it was a while ago. I have 2010 vision, so I'm uh-huh. able to walk into a supermarket and look for myself. Right. So uh, there was four reasons. They say one of the reasons is you're 80,000 truck drivers down. Yep. Uh, 10% of food manufacturing, they can't staff the place, so the, the production's off 10%. And they say there are more people, according to the four major uh, food companies, there are more people out with this Omicron over the last two weeks than all of 2020. Right. So you can't stock, you can't get deliveries, you can't unload the truck, but you can save Christmas. It's a perfect storm of lack of stuff. Right. Ha! That's true. I mean, that's one with your business background, a lack of stuff, um, which you do have a rich business background. But that's what people care about. And but right. why? I just don't understand why there isn't somebody practical in the White House that says the day that George, the day after Georgia wins a national championship. Uh, where Stacey Abrams has a scheduling conflict, why go down and speak about voting laws and voting rules that don't have the Democrats don't have a vote on? They don't have the numbers, so it's not like I'm setting up for Martin exactly. Luther King Day. Exactly. So why do that when you have seven percent and you, you your job numbers are half of what they were supposed to be, 
and you don't even look like you're engaged. You, you, you got to wonder at what point does President Biden look at Ron Klain and say, wait, why are we doing you're terrible. this? Why are we going to Georgia when I cannot? I mean, unless something shifts dramatically in the coming days. And, you know, he, he basically called uh called the cinema and mansion, you know, the equivalent of, of Bull Connor and George Wallace. So I don't think that's probably that's probably not going to bring them around on this issue. But what so BBB didn't work. So now they decided we're going to turn our attention to voting rights. And six percent of the country says that's a top priority issue for them. I mean, at some point, you really got to look around your office and say, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? This is not where people's concerns are. We're just missing them. It's like we're we're just going past them in the night on the things that they care about. You know what I'm heartened by? And that is that people are beginning to come around to what we've been saying from day one. we got to learn to live with this. And they, oh, you're crazy. How dare you? I have a 70-year-old that has. Okay, okay, listen. You could do that. You understand if you have underlying conditions. But let me live my life and let me make my own decisions. Now, when it comes to schools, I think 80, what is it, 95% of the schools are open. The ones that weren't open, it was a national, it was a problem. People talk about going back uh, to work and wanting to get on with their lives. And they, so there's talk that yet implemented of trying to live with this virus, not waiting for it to go away because it's not. I was fascinated to see that the Netherlands has 85% vaccination rate and they're getting hit by another surge. I was fascinated to see that China has 5 million people locked in their homes and they have the oppressive way. I got the vaccine way. That's not working. The oppressive way. That's not working. So maybe we have to learn to live with it. Dare I say we've been right. I think that's it's becoming more clear by the minute. And and you also have all these folks who were so draconian about the way that we should approach it. Also now starting to say, well, maybe we should live with it. Maybe maybe they're screwing up on the way we're approaching it. And yet you have this the other wheels turning of trying to develop um, tests and send out masks, Bernie Sanders said today, to every single household across the country. Uh, send out N95 That's his masks. Idea? Yes, to every single household across the country. All this stuff is putting, you know, it, it, it's the cart before the horse. We're, we're in a different moment in all of this, and we know it. And I say that, you know, there are still people, it not there are people who are dying from this virus, right? I read about this guy who's 45 the other day in good health. I mean, so this this is a serious issue, but it is not a serious issue for most of the people who deal with it. So you have to protect right. and you've got to get treatment to people as soon as they get sick if you're like this person in their And 40s. that should be a demand. Absolutely. Uh, that should be a demand. Therapeutics right away. But but that person, and I feel bad for that person and Jim Justice, we've made our own decisions. This isn't 2019. It isn't January 2020. It's 2022. So what happens is I can't protect the 40-year-old. I can't protect the 70-year-old. I can, uh, sadly, I can't stop my two college kids from being forced to get boosters and double vaccinated. I have no say in that. But I will tell you this. I'm not wearing an N95 mask all day. I'm watching that CDC director with an N95 and a cloth mask sit there and muddle and muffle her way through a testimony while Anthony Fauci is popping it off. And may I add, they're 12 feet from each other in a wide open ventilated room. You know what? I think you just said something that is really key to where the country is right now, that people are making their own decisions and people are looking at. You know, some at their child who's been home for five days who has no symptoms and saying this doesn't make any sense. They're looking at their college students who have been double vaxxed and, as you say, are now being told they need a booster to go back, despite the fact that in some cases, and these are people I know very well, they've been had COVID twice. Okay, two vaccines, two COVIDs. They need a booster on top of that. When does this end? And when do they say to people, 
you know what, enough is enough. You make your own personal decision about what's right for you. If your doctor says, which in many cases the doctor says this about young people, boy, young college-age boys and girls, young adults, um, if you've had COVID and you've been, you've, you've been vaxxed, you should probably not get another shot. Your natural immunity Thank is you. strong. You definitely have to take a break between them. Martha, who's going to be on your show at three? Uh, Senator Thune and Senator Scott. Sounds like and you're a bragging. Great lineup. Yep. Sounds like you're bragging. But I, am I think a it's bit. good. Yeah, at three o'clock. Those are two very good guests. All right, <laughs> you do have a little bit we'll of a swagger. We'll see you on outnumbered. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on outnumbered. I'm going to wear this. Is that okay? I think that'll work. All right, thank you. Uh, keep it here. Kenny Linder next. Martha McCallum, she played herself a whole segment, both segments. Talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everyone. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's my privilege to bring on one of the most successful uh, agents and managers. Uh, in a news or in management, whether you're an actor, whether you're uh, whatever you want to do, uh, Ken Linder's been the guy for as long as he's been in the business. He's got a brand new book out. It's called Aspire Hire, How to Find the Love, Positivity, and Purpose to Elevate Your Life and the World. Ken, these are lofty ambitions. How have you put it into one book? Well, Brian, you know, I've always been a student of the positive life choice and how it affects self-esteem feelings of self-worth and your self-image. So um, when I saw all of the stories uh, about the devastating effects of global warming and COVID and the violence and the rancor and the racism and the smash and grabs and the runaway inflation, I started to speak with people and, and they were demoralized. They, they felt deflated and they were psychologically stuck because they didn't see a way up or a way out of these troubled times. So I wrote Aspire Higher to give everyone the clear and actionable steps to make positive life choices that reflect your highest self, your highest goals, and your highest values. And when you make these positive life choices, they instill feelings of positivity mm-hmm. and love and peace and highest life purpose in your heart, and you're motivated to live your very best and highest life. And during these troubled times, I think it's really important to instill that love and positivity and, right. and peace in our hearts. But you talk, is it a mindset? Uh, I know you say you have actual steps. I mean, uh, probably the most successful book, Think and Grow Rich, Anthony Robbins' uh, Personal Power. How is yours different from a lot of those uh, a lot of those positive thinking books well you know it's one thing to think positively it's another thing to have the core confidence that you can attain um, great things in your life and those steps are making small life choices at the beginning so you get your victories one small choice at a time that uplifts you, that, that benefits you, you and or your life. And it's like losing weight. You lose the first five pounds. You feel good. You look good. You're motivated to lose more. Same thing with positive life choices. And when you start to make those choices and you see that you can affect positive change in your life, you get that core confidence that I was talking about, Brian, that you can put your life on a far better track. And that's when your feelings of self-esteem, self-worth, 
elevate and your self-image elevates. And when you start to feel good about yourself and worthy of the better life that you're creating, then you develop feelings of self-love. And when you love yourself, you're far more likely to bestow love and positivity, compassion, and civility on others. So the interesting part, Brian, is you get a triple bonus here. A, through your life choices, you elevate your life, you're motivated to elevate the lives of others, and by doing that, we elevate our country. So, I mean, we all win here. Right. So one of the things that Zig Ziglar always said, you can get what you want if you help enough other people get what they want. I know that's almost your job description uh, from what you do, but is that also part of it, looking at other people and saying, what do they need? And maybe getting out of yourself? That's such a great question, Brian. In Aspire Higher, I have a chapter devoted to the term solutionary. And when I first heard that term, I thought it was being a really constructive problem solver. But then my daughter started talking with me about it, and she was talking about it in her psychology class. And it turns out that a solutionary is far more. It is trying to find solutions to problems that not only benefit you, but elevate others, taking others into account. And God, you know, if we can all be solutionaries, if we try to find things that work for us, but also work for others, we would have a much better world. But the thing is, it's not only being altruistic here, you actually benefit because when you solve problems that benefit you, you feel great, you have confidence that you're a great problem solver, but the other part of it is you develop high self-esteem by helping others. Yeah, no question. Uh, uh, So when you put this together, when did you realize you didn't have a a few salient statements and you had a book? When did you realize you had had uh, an operational plan? Well, it's interesting, Brian. Um, Aspire Higher is really sort of the greatest hits of all the books I've written. So I put bits and pieces of all of the other five books that I've written and have made it my best book and added some new things, especially because of the times with COVID. You know, we all need jump starts in our lives. We all want to turn the page. Can I give you an example, Ken? So for here's an example. So let's say I'm working in one of those Gucci stores that was has been slammed in these looting operations, these uh, these uh, these hit these hit jobs. I'm, I'm thinking in a beautiful store. I'm worried at, and I'm totally traumatized by this. And I don't feel comfortable going to work, even though I work in a beautiful area of San Francisco. And I'm wondering, I'm like, am I, am I in the right job now? My store might close because there's so much looting going on. What's good at like? What do I do in that type of crisis situation? Because I'm living paycheck to paycheck, and I can't really afford to lose one. Well, you know that is obviously a really tough situation. You know, but I really believe you've got to just trust that things happen for a reason. And maybe the reason is you're supposed to reassess your life. Do you want to continue doing this? Do you want to move on to something else? And there, there are criteria you can use. What do I love to do? What gives me meaning and purpose in my life? What am I really good at? And what do my life experiences prepare me to do? So, you know, when things like this happen, and I had a similar circumstance, Brian, when I was uh, at a big agency, and some things happened to me that 
that really shook me to my core. And it made me realize that maybe I didn't want to work for a big agency anymore. Maybe I wanted to do it on my own. Maybe I wanted to charge a better commission, a more appropriate commission to my clients. And since I didn't have the big overhead of a major agency, I could do it with a smaller agency. And guess what? I never would have left that agency but for some things that happened to me. And it made me go one Friday afternoon and get an office. And I started my company 33 years ago. And it's been one of the very best decisions I've ever made. Yeah, Kenny Linders, in case you don't know, if you're not in the business, he's one of the most respected, uh, successful agents uh, in TV and uh, TV and movies. Uh, and in news, he's considered probably the most successful, and everybody aspires to be represented by him, especially when you're breaking in. Even the people under you, you know, go on to great things. But, Ken, I just got to ask you about what's going on in our business. And, by the way, Ken has a book out called Aspire Higher, How to Find the Love, Positivity, and Purpose to Elevate Your Life and the World. So, Ken, just looking at some things that are happening now in the news, um, Chris Cuomo, he's probably their highest ratings getter in TV news. How much trouble is he in? You know, I do not know, honestly, Brian. Uh, you know, a lot depends upon uh, what they find and all of that. So it, it's it's hard. But the key is, you know, one of the things I've learned is that we are a society that um, moves on from things pretty quickly. So a lot depends upon, one, how his employers back him. And, uh, you know, if his, if his employers back him, uh, and they believe that everything is good, the chances are everything will be okay. I just don't, you know, I don't know enough about it to really to comment on it. Ken Linder, our guest. Ken, lastly, where's the business heading? You know, uh, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, don't go to cable. You only go to cable if you have no other options. And cable becomes hot. Networks might be still better. And then everything flattens out, and then we got streaming. And then you have big stars like Rachel Maddow deciding to take a contract where she's streaming almost the whole time as well as uh, other people. Is, is that where everything's heading? Well, streaming is certainly the next great frontier, and people are betting on streaming. They're putting their, their major stars uh, up front um, on the streaming platform. So I believe people are hoping that this is uh, going to be lucrative and successful for them. Uh, and the question is, what do broadcasters do because local news was always nervous that maybe their, you know, their viewership was aging and they were losing viewers to cable. And now we'll see what happens with streaming. Uh, so people are always looking to find, yeah. um, you know, obviously the venue where they can get the most eyeballs and the best demographics. So Ken's got a brand new book, Aspire Hire. Uh, if you're looking to maybe start this year fresh with a new mindset, this is the perfect one-stop shopping for you. It's how to find love, positivity, and purpose to elevate your life and the world. Ken Linder, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Brian. Thank you. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. 
Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.